You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. One Timothy chapter five verses seventeen to twenty-five, and chapter six verses one and two. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, "You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain," and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works. Are conspicuous, and even those that are cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers; rather, they must serve all the better. Since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved, Father God, we come to your word humbled this morning, humbled to know that you have saved us through your Son, and that you have spoken to us through your word by the power of the Spirit. God, by your word and through your Spirit, open our eyes and our ears. Call us to repentance, change our hearts, and grant us the comfort of the cross. Amen. In the last two weeks, we've been talking about the household of faith, the church. Now, it is always hard to talk about something that is very big, like the church. So let us be specific. Paul is writing to Timothy about the church that gathers in Ephesus. This is the local church of the Ephesians. For us reading this letter today, we must think about Timothy's circumstance. We must look at the church around the world and throughout history that does what Paul commands and encourages pretty well, and we must learn from them. Then we must look at our church and ask, what can we do differently or better, or how can we stay faithful according to this text? So we have heard that we are to consider one another as family. We should love and care for one another as one household. We should speak with care and respect and affection as fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers. 
We are the household of God. This does not mean that we do anything perfectly, but it does mean that God has gifted to each of us something that builds into the larger family. And this has all been made possible because we have been united by the blood of Jesus and we are held together by the Spirit of God. Now, one of those gifts that God gives in order to keep his people together are elders. Verse 17 throws us into some serious discussions about teaching leaders in the church. That is, leaders who teach. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, to we read about the lifestyle and character requirements of elder pastors in the church. Well, today we get some different instructions. How to honor them and pay them. How to discipline one of them when they are out of line in their life or their teaching. And then some odds and ends of the pastor's life. First, pastors are to have a double honor. Well, what are we talking about here? That's a good question. So Paul uses a passage from Deuteronomy 25 about an ox, you know, a, a big working cow. <laughs> that clears everything up. <laughs> he also compares the pastor to a day laborer to remind us that his work is actually work and that it should be difficult work. So what is this double honor then? First, I think it is the same kind of honor showed to widows or also to fathers that we've read about in this uh, household of faith. A, a general kind of loving respect. Not something that is only on the outside, right? That's fake. That makes everyone feel good. It does not mean that the pastor makes sure that everyone calls him pastor and uh, treats him with the utmost respect. More likely, it is that the pastor is respectable because of his character and his teaching, and thus uh, he should be honored like a father who is trying to help those around him, trying to keep his household well. The second kind of honor is financial. Now, both examples used, that of the hard-working bull and the day laborer, should point to a pastor earning a paycheck. But it also points to the congregation, those members of the church, being willing to care and respect the work that the, the pastor is putting into preaching and teaching and pastoral care. Paul is saying that if the church has the budget to pay a pastor, then they should be doing it. Elsewhere, Paul refuses to be financially taken care of by a church, but that's because that there are people accusing him of being a thief. A thief like one of those pastors or prophets that collect the second and third offering of the day. So instead of receiving money, he was cared for by other churches. But he does not hold that up as normal. Instead, he tells the Ephesian church through Timothy that they should pay their pastors. Now, of course, in some churches, the pastor can have a full salary. And in other churches, he cannot be given a full salary by the church. He will need to find other work. 
But then the church must also make sure that that other work is not getting in the way of the word, that the word is not being neglected. And if it is, then changes need to be made. Now, Anchored Baptist Church, you do not pay me. But one day, you will call another pastor elder, either from inside this congregation or from outside of it, and when that happens, we will have to find a way to pay him for his labor. <laughs> when God tells us this through his word, though, we should receive it as a good burden to carry. Because if someone is being financially cared for, it's because their work is meaningful. It's that their work is valued by people, right? In this case, the members of the church. In fact, I was listening to a story the other day about a plumber who, look, he made an okay living. And then some strange things happened. He couldn't work during the daytime anymore. And uh, he started doing emergency nighttime plumbing calls. Now, was when he was in normal business, doing normal everyday things, everyone wanted to argue about what he would get paid. They would want to negotiate the job and the price. Now, he did not want to do middle-of-the-night plumbing calls, but he also found that once he started doing them, people did not try to rip him off or negotiate when their toilets and plumbing systems blew up in the middle of the night. People paid, and they said thank you. Why would they do that? Because they were desperate, and they knew that it was important. <laughs> Having a pastor who can shepherd well and will give you the goods of the gospel, that's emergency territory. The care of the elder should not be neglected. Then, on the other hand, when he does not do those things, and even falls into sin, then there is another discussion that needs to be had. If someone accuses an elder of something, then some questions must be asked. If two or more people charge an elder with sin, then it should be taken to the pastor and he should be questioned on this. You can do this to me. Did you know that? <laughs> you can call me out. You can bring something to my attention that worries you. Words I've been using, a wrong way that I've been treating someone or speaking to someone, a wrong thing that I've been teaching. You have the freedom to come to me with that. To bring someone else in on the conversation with us even. And especially if they have seen the same things that you have. Then, like all of us, there are two paths that I could take. The first being that I could see where you are right. I could confess that sin. I could ask for forgiveness. I could ask for help in turning from that sin, and I could get continued accountability in those sinful areas of my life. And then once things have improved or have become more clear, maybe is a better way of saying it, uh, and that I've proven that I actually understood what the problem was in the first place, then we can even bring the whole situation to the whole church and retell the story. 
we can show everyone how uh, sin and then repentance and forgiveness works. That would be a really good path to take. However, there is a second path, and that second path looks like denial, and it looks like blame shifting to others. It looks like apologizing, but not seeking forgiveness and not attempting to change directions. It looks like continuing in my sin. Well, what then? Paul tells us, like he's been encouraging Timothy with all the false teachers, to bring them before the whole church and rebuke them. In this case, rebuke me, and rebuke me in my sin. Then others will be reminded of sin's seriousness, uh, issues of theology, or issues of, of lifestyle and character. Now, interestingly enough, when Paul says to bring it before the whole church, he also paints the picture of this being a heavenly courtroom where Jesus and his armies are present. And finally, Paul encourages fairness in this process. And then come the warnings. Paul tells Timothy to not be too quick in pushing someone into ministry. And to not commend someone to ministry whose sin would ruin them and you. Verse 23 is controversial, even though it shouldn't be. Paul encourages Timothy to have a drink every once in a while. <laughs> now, why is Timothy not drinking? Is it sin? No, we can't drag that out of the text. Uh, there are a couple of good reasons I think that Timothy might not be drinking. Uh, first, it may be that Timothy is working all the time, and alcohol does not really agree with someone who actually wants to get something done or complete a mission. A second reason, which could be caused by the first, we find in verse 23, he has stomach problems that are helped by wine. So maybe one more reason could be uh, why he's not drinking is that he does not want people to question his character in this role and mission that Paul has handed over to him. Look, they're already trying to ignore him because he is young. It would be much easier to ignore what Timothy is there to do, that is to correct false teaching, if he is young, physically weak, and has been drinking to ease his troubles. You can hear that going through the rumor mill. You can see that going through the WhatsApp groups, right? <laughs> Paul rounds out this discussion about elders with some very interesting words. Some people's sin is clearly seen, while other people's sins only show up later. And we should never think that we know exactly what's happening with someone else, because we do not. And the same is true with good works. You might see it now, but not always. So do not dismiss people without good reason. The fruit of some people's good work will only show up later. Okay, then at the beginning of chapter 6, Paul has one last thing to say about the church and household order. Paul encourages Timothy to address all of those who are carrying the heavy burden of slavery. And he wants them to regard their masters as being worthy of all honor so that no one can easily dismiss Christians as being uh, lazy 
or difficult or dishonorable or always trying to force major changes in slave practices in the Roman Empire. He reminds them of the third commandment, that they are carrying the name of Jesus around with them and that they should not dishonor that name. Now, we will come back to some problems with this portion of the text in just one minute. But let's also discuss verse number two. Uh, Paul says that if someone has a master who is also a Christian, they are to remember that they are still an employee, even though they are brothers. In fact, they should serve better so that the master benefits. Uh, Paul is saying to do whatever good you can for those who are in Christ. Christian writers in the first 300 years of the church um, were quick to remind us that this passage should also be thought of in a reverse way. That is, if Paul tells Christian slaves to treat their Christian masters as brothers, then it is very much the responsibility of masters to receive their slaves as brothers and sisters, as daughters and sons. We read exhortations similar to this throughout the New Testament writings, but most memorably, probably in the letter of Philemon or Philemon and 1 Peter. We don't need to go into all the details about slave ownership during this time period, except for to say that there were a lot of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. It was legal, it was encouraged, and it was even necessary for that place to run. It was possible for you to ask to be placed into slavery or servitude. Perhaps you were poor and you had to find a way to take care of your family. Or maybe you own, owed someone a, a bunch of money that you could never pay off, so you would become their bond servant. Now, obviously, this could go very well or very poorly. And as there still is today, there would have been endlessly creative ways that masters would find to abuse this system. In our world today, this kind of passage usually gets translated into the workplace. And that is one application of this passage. For me, a desk and a set schedule sounds a bit like bond servanthood, right? But telling someone to change their attitude toward a bad or ignorant boss is very, very different than telling someone to honor another human that, is, that has the authority to beat them to keep food and shelter and finances away from them. Those are two very different things. So then, for many of you listening to this, I know that you are closer to being in a position of instability and servanthood than you are to being in a position of an employee with all of its benefits. For many of you, you work for someone who does not have the authority to withhold payment or food from you, and yet they think that it is their right. For some of you, you have even had a job where the boss feels that they have the authority to yell, enrage, and even hit you. They do not. This is gross sin and against the law. And yet, it is the world that we live in. 
Now, for all of you that can shake your head in agreement with what was just said, you're stronger than me. And may the Lord continue to bless you with that strength that you need. And don't forget that he has placed brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers into your life in the church to help you through those situations. And for those of you that are not in a place of servitude, if you have friends that carry the name of Christ and yet treat their help in inhuman ways, you have a responsibility to call that sin. And in your own life, you have the responsibility to adopt those who carry the name of Jesus and work in your homes as sisters and daughters and brothers and fathers. Now, you might be tempted to think, oh no, Wade's getting a bit radical now. I think we can tune him out. But remember, from two weeks ago, that you were adopted. You were brought into a family. Remember that you were deserving of slave status. But instead, the Father met you out on the road in the person and work of Jesus, and he gave you his best robe. His robe of righteousness. And you have been brought into this household, the church, as family members. Remember that that Jesus, God himself, took the form of a slave, Paul tells us. Took on your likeness and humbled himself even to the point of a criminal's death on the cross. And he did that for you. We all are less than what we need to be in this life. We are all clinging to sin. We are all chasing after every distraction that comes our way. But in Jesus, you are set free from slavery to sin. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 6. But now you have been set free from sin. And have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.